Hello and welcome to this episode of Nothing Ventured with me, Arish Shah. Today in the studio with me, I had Andrea Summer. Andrea is an entrepreneur, advisor, investor, and currently co-founder and CEO at Hive Founders. In today's episode, we talked about capital as an accelerant, not a requirement. We talked about defensible logic, and we talked about not being too trusting as a female founder when you have yourself surrounded by advisors. Let's get straight into this. Hello and welcome to this episode of Nothing Ventured with me, Arish Shah. Today in the studio with me, I am really excited to have with me Andrea Summers. Andrea is an entrepreneur, advisor and investor who has built four businesses in the technology space, including in analytics and event management, uh, femtech and wearables, as well as HR tech. She is currently co-founder and CEO at Hive Founders, a network for women entrepreneurs, providing education, investment readiness training and advisory to a growing community of founders across the globe. Uh, she is also co-founder at Womankind Ventures, a dynamic and inclusive global angel investment group with a mission to get more funding to female founders. Andrea, thank you so much for joining me in the studio here today. Thanks for having me. Um, so let's dive straight in. For our audience who uh, uh, don't necessarily know much about Andrea, I do urge you to go check out uh, the Primer episode um, where she gives us a bit of background about herself and, and what she's up to. But in the meantime, um, High Founders is a platform built by women entrepreneurs, for women entrepreneurs. What have you found to be some of the unique challenges for female founders and uh, that, that they may encounter? And you know, beyond purely the access to funding, which is, is something we'll definitely talk about, um, and, and how is High Founders actually helping to address some of those challenges? Yeah, I think the main challenge that women entrepreneurs have is that the playbook of information, the vast playbook of information that's out there, just doesn't work for women. Um, it, and we at High Founders have experienced that. We've all been through the process, the frustration of trying to do the things that are out there, that, are, that we find on the internet, that people, advisors tell us, mm -hmm. trying and hitting our heads against the wall and failing, and then coming up with strategies that succeed. And that uh, approach of coming up with a playbook that works specifically for women entrepreneurs is what we do at High Founders. So we use our learnings, our knowledge, and our expertise to help other founders navigate uh, an environment and a pathway that's not really set up for them, using a playbook that we know works. Worked for us. So, so, I mean, you know, digging into that a little bit, yeah. like give, give me some examples of what didn't work that should have worked. So, you know, presumably when you're talking about a playbook that is out there, you know, things like Lean Startup, I guess, is, is one of the playbooks. And I've, again, I've had female founders, you know, explicitly say to me, well, I followed everything it told me to do in that book and it hasn't worked. I'm like, right. well, because it doesn't necessarily work for every business. You've got to sure. think about it in the context of what you're doing. But yeah. what, what are some examples of specific advice that is, you know, almost taken as as kind of, um, you know, unwritten law within mm -hmm. startup world that, that hasn't or doesn't work for female founders? There's sort of two ways that I like to think about it. On one way, capital and funding access is one part of the story, right? Women, because of the nature of women not being able to secure capital as early or as frequently as men, means that we need to build businesses that bootstrap for longer. Mm -hmm. The venture capital model is not designed for slow growing businesses. It's designed for speed, right? So you're penalized for um, moving slowly, even though you have no other choice but to move slowly. The other area where women are really, really um, struggle and the playbook doesn't really work is in the composition of their teams, right? Is, you know, a lot of venture capital firms, and I think this is changing a little bit, have an expectation that, for example, you're not going to take a salary or you're going to be fully dedicated to that. That's just not realistic for women. Women have other commitments. And I'm not saying every woman is a mother or every woman is a caretaker, but 
but generally speaking, women have other more well-rounded commitments that are balanced within their entrepreneurial lives. And the venture capital model isn't really accommodate that so well. So I think that there's like some structural issues yeah. that are that are really problematic. Yeah, I, I, I find it really interesting. I mean, I, I founded my first kind of tech startup at the age of whatever, 43, 44, right? Mm -hmm. And similarly, like, you know, I'm at a place in my life where I have a family, I have two kids. Yeah. I'm not a 25 year old, right. you know, with with kind of unlimited uh, ability to just kind of yeah. do what I want, take no salary, live on ramen, like that's not right. gonna work. Right. And obviously that's a choice that mm -hmm. I've made, um, but structurally, you know, okay, fine. As a as a minority ethnic founder, it's it's potentially harder for me to find funding. Although, yeah. you know, I have I, I had uh, certainly and and continue to have great relationships. Mm -hmm. But for a lot of female founders, obviously, they don't necessarily have relationships already built up. They may be at that certain age. Yeah. They may have the family. They may not. Yeah. Um. But balancing that uh, can be can be quite problematic. The other thing that I I I get a sense of again speaking to a lot of female founders as mm -hmm. as I have um over the last you know decade or so. Mm -hmm is there is less chutzpah, right? And I don't mean that in a negative way. I mean, almost there's less arrogance, I would say, is actually yeah. probably the right way of putting it. Uh, a lot of kind of male founders will go out with a, you know, with a napkin, essentially, yeah. right? And go out yeah. and try and raise money. Whereas a lot of the female entrepreneurs I've worked with are really kind of... Um, focus on proving yeah. as much as possible before they go out. In fact, yeah. I've just had a conversation with someone recently, and I'll, I'll give you an example, um, obviously without disclosing too much, you know, they have a product that is already being sold. They're making some revenue. They are looking at targeting uh, an, another market. This m market is very design heavy. Yeah. Um, and the product that they have is not designed particularly well. And what, what this founder said to me is like, um, I want to build the product out so that it is like ideal for that design community and then go out and raise venture because then it's right. And I said, surely you should flip that, right? Raise right. a venture so that you can yeah. can build that out faster, quicker, get to market quicker. Yeah. Is that the sort of thing that, that, that you're kind of alluding to? Or? Yeah, I think women are not socialized to be comfortable with imperfection. We right. are socialized to be perfectionists. We're socialized to do it all, to have it all, all these things, you know, these these myths that are unachievable for pretty much any woman. Um, but it makes it, the entrepreneurship experience really uncomfortable, right? Mm. And I think also women are a bit too truthful in their um, in their presentation of things. And I'm not saying, suggesting that people should lie, but I think people need to position things correctly. And also remember that, for example, when you're fundraising, you're selling the vision, right? You're not selling the reality of where you are today. You're selling the dream. And that's really hard sometimes uh, when you don't have the proof points or you're not as far along as you think you have you really compare yourself to a lot of things that are happening out there um and you think oh i've i've done nothing even if you've done quite a lot for entrepreneurial standards so i think that that's a challenge for women one that we work really hard to help them overcome because we understand that the process of fundraising is a game and if you don't play the game correctly you won't raise funding right so you have to learn how to play it i mean i launched this podcast basically on that, yeah. <laughs> like trying to yeah. level level that playing yeah. field and look i mean 100 percent. i'm i you know i I've, I've written extensively or at least often if not extensively about the need for narrative over numbers, right? Totally. And like, if you if you kind of abstract that away a little bit, yeah. essentially, as you said, it's the story that matters. The numbers are important, sure, but directionally, you've got to be showing that you have, you know, you talked about it earlier, either the ambition or the the the, the kind of uh, objective of reaching, yeah. you know, something scalable. Especially if you're raising venture funding, yeah. angels may be a bit yeah. uh, a bit different. But I like to think about it like a cake in a way, right? right? So you look at like the ingredients. Do you have the right ingredients, right, to build the kind of business that, that we're talking about, right? Mm. If you don't have the right ingredients, what can you do to fill those gaps, right? Then you look at it, the recipe, right? You learn the playbook. You learn what you need to do. The game. You 
figure out how, how to play the game. And then the frosting is your deck. It's your mm. pitch deck, your materials, your narrative, right? Without a really good foundation, no amount of beautiful pitch deck is going to make you raise investment, right? So all three things need to kind of work in balance. Yeah, I again, I mean, like I, I do a lot of this, but yeah. <laughs> I wrote, I, I've recently written written a few times, you know, great great decks get meetings, great founders get funded. And totally. and, and and actually, if you if you think about that in more detail, it's yes, great decks get, get, get meetings, great founders get a second meeting, but great businesses get funded, right? Totally. Like, and it's a combination of those a factors. Combination of the um, yeah. So, so you, you've kind of talked a little bit about this, but you know, you founded Full Ventures yourself, uh, and no doubt you have a bunch of war stories of your own. So, Many. what was the what was the well, I, yeah, I can I can imagine what <laughs> was the what was the biggest lesson you learned, um, and uh, you know, how would you do things differently today, right? So, so the biggest lesson in your founding journey, and then kind of how you might change things. I up. only get to pick one. I have so many. I, I mean, um, cho choose think, three. It's yeah, cool. I mean, I think like the biggest lesson I learned um, is that. You have to, uh, I feel like the biggest lesson I learned is to not be so trusting. Mm -hmm. Even if people that you think you can rely on and trust, um, it's really important for you to actually know and not just be blindly faithful to advisors or investors or people who you think have more experience than you. It's important for you as a founder to do your diligence, understand the issues correctly, and make a decision on how to navigate things based on your knowledge and not based on other people's advice, right? Everyone has advice, everyone has opinions. You as the founder, you need to make sense of those opinions. Um, and I think especially when I was a first time founder, I was really trusting. I, I, I was not as confident, and so I relied on people who had done it before to tell me what to do, and I actually got burned several times because of that. So I think that that's the biggest lesson. I think the second lesson that I would say is hire and fire people more quickly. So there's like, especially in the world of entrepreneurship, just waiting to try it out with different people, see if things improve, I think is just a waste of money and can really kill your business. So I think moving quickly with in with regards to people is also a really big lesson for me. Yeah. But it's so, both of them related to people, I guess. Yeah, well, and, and <laughs> so, but, but startups all about people, all people, right? Like yeah. that that's what it comes yeah. down to. You you are selling to people, you are yeah. selling you know, you are building it with people. Totally. It's it's interesting. Like the advisor point I think is really you know, it, 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 it hits home, I think, uh, a lot for me because I'm often one of the guys giving advice, right? right? But what right. I tell founders is you should not take my advice as sacrosanct. It yes. should be part of your arsenal of, of thinking, right? You totally. need to go out, do your own thinking, figure out kind of what makes yeah. sense for you. Yes, take two, three opinions, but yeah. those opinions are just that. They're opinions. Exactly. We don't we don't live your business, right? Yeah. We're not in it day to day. We're not going through the same struggle you are. Yeah. Um, and it's important that, you know, yes, I, I mean, I think great founders are the founders that have a growth mindset, are, are open to, to listening, but aren't mm -hmm. necessarily uh exactly as you said you know pe people who then just blindly follow that yeah. advice right they're yeah. able to synthesize and then make their, their own decisions second the second thing about height so again i wrote uh i, I actually wrote higher higher slowly fire you know higher slowly fire fast yeah. or whatever however i phrase yeah, it I agree with that. um you know and and part of the reason exactly that right you get burned because when you hire too quickly you maybe you know you, you go with your gut you don't necessarily sort of think about mm -hmm. who is the right fit mm -hmm. but actually more than that, I think the firing fast is really, really important. really important. Like sticking with people who are toxic or the right, the wrong fit or whatever, like that can kill, kill a business, yeah. right? Yeah, I totally agree. And I think back on the advisory point, 
one of the things that we really do and I'm really passionate about is to teach founders how to think through and make decisions. How do you filter the uh, counsel that you're getting and actually think through this thing? And I really like this concept of defensible logic, right? Mm -hmm. Can you prove and defend the logic that you're using to arrive at any particular part? And this could be your valuation. It could be your financial model. It could be your business model. It could be any aspect of your business. If you can defend your logic, it means that you've thought it through. And then it doesn't matter what any advisor is telling you because you understand how you've arrived at that conclusion, right? So I think it's all about filtering it correctly and defending it correctly. Uh, absolutely. And, and, you know, if you if you have defensible logic, even if you're challenged, you can feed that logic back into your I, into your own kind yeah. of um, uh, assumptions and reasoning and rationale. And, and you can decide evolve to change yeah. and evolve yeah, or, totally. or, or, or leave it to the side yeah. or think, OK, actually, that might be relevant. In a year's yeah. time, when I've reached this milestone, that milestone, that probably is something I need to start yeah. thinking about. But actually, today, where I am right now, yeah. it's fine, right? And yeah. and actually, you know, so often, you know, I see, uh, obviously, working in the kind of finance side of things within startups, we see, uh, you know, founders who who come come to us and say, "We want to build out a financial model." Yeah, that's great. We have these twenty revenue streams. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. How many of them are How many of them are actually active right now? Well, one. I'm like, well, then show that one. Don't worry yeah. about the other 19 because, quite frankly, like they're not provable. Pro like, do it in a year's time. Do it in yeah. two years' time, right? Yeah. Um, and, yeah, and one of my pet peeves is kind of things that have not have any validation. Is <laughs> like, I mean, it's better to have like a scrappy validation just to prove your point than, rather than have building a vacuum, right? Building in a vacuum. Don't do that. Well, it, it comes down. <laughs> yeah. it, it comes down exactly to your point, right? There's no defensibility around those None. like 19 revenue streams totally. because you're basically sitting there going, "Yeah, I think I can do this." Okay, fine, but you haven't, and you have no proof right. that you are. Right. So just leave it out because the more you leave yourself open to being challenged, you know, it's very easy to get it. Get especially if you're pitching an investor, it's very easy for investor to get to a no. You want them to get to a yes. Yeah. The more you leave it open for them to kind of you know uh, poke holes and 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 find flaws yeah. the easier it is for them to get to a no i think that's a super important point because the thing a lot of a lot of founders go into the investment process thinking that investors want to say yes and investors don't want to say yes investors want to say no yeah. they just have so much volume right so they're looking for ways of discarding and filtering and going through and saying no this is not going to fit as quickly as possible right so if you're a smart founder and you're trying to navigate that process, you make sure you understand exactly what they're looking for, provide it exactly in the way that they are looking for it so that you are minimizing the chances for them to say no, at least in the first instance, right? I mean, they may still say, still say no down the road, but at least you kind of maximize your chances of getting to a second or third meeting. Yeah, and, and I, I think what's really interesting, and I, this, this just keeps coming up in like every conversation I have, and maybe I have some sort of bias here at, at play, but I kind of say, and I say like everything under the sun has been written. Like there is nothing new no. that has been written about startups, about, totally. you know, about raising investment, about, you know, there are a billion Twitter threads or a, a billion, here's a list of investors, there's yeah. a billion, all of that stuff. But I sit on a bunch of kind of, you know, Slack groups and founder communities and so on, but it's the same questions that keep coming up time and time and time and time again. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if it's naivety. I don't know if it's lack of time or or ability to 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 you know again find those resources. But I keep coming back to this sort of uh, question in my head: is like there are so many of these communities, and and again we've interviewed. I think probably in this season alone, I think three uh, community uh, founder founders of communities for female, yeah. uh, both female investors as well as female founders, yeah. and um, you know, and of, of course there are a plethora of other communities, mm -hmm. whether it's, you know, whether it's for minority ethnic, whether it's for just diverse, whether it's just founder communities, uh, you know, uh, on their own. But one of the things that I think 
constantly comes up in these um, in, in these groups is a lack of understanding of the investor mentality mm -hmm. from the founder's perspective. Founders assume that, like I saw one recently where it was like, yeah, we're, you know, we're, we're trying to create FOMO just like all the threads that we've read have told us to. Right. And it doesn't seem to be working. And it's like, well, hold on a second. Like you don't create FOMO. Like, yes, you can, you can kind of attempt to create it. But the reality is FOMO happens when there's a hot deal yeah. that lots of in investors are interested in. Uh, and it's not something that you can necessarily manipulate or hack, right? And I think there is this, th there is also this kind of overriding urge on the part of founders that they are looking for that playbook that works like in 100% of scenarios, but they don't, right? As someone who has, you know, someone who has, I, I've personally raised money, I've also personally not been able to raise money mm -hmm. and therefore, you know, have, have, have not shuttered, but I'm now bootstrapping one of my businesses. Yeah. Like things don't go to plan. And on that understanding investors' mentality is like a massive part of that. Like, again, we've had someone, sure. I, I think, recently saying, you know, been raising for the last couple of months, but nothing seems to be happening. It's like, well, hold on a second. Like, it takes six months to complete a yeah. fundraise. Yeah. And and in Europe, you're sitting in, you know, whatever, June, July, August. Yeah. You're not going to get anything Nothing's done anyway. Um, so, I mean, you know, so switching tack for a second, like members of Hive have actually raised close to $40 million, mm -hmm. um, but the funding gap for female entrepreneurs has remained consistently and uh, persistently hard to bridge, right? That 2% that yeah. number has been perennial. Like it's yeah. something that it comes up. Me. Yeah, it's, it's just there. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. It, do it doesn't seem to move. And we, we recently had Hussein yeah. Kanji from Hoxton. You know, he was very proud of the fact that Hoxton had invested in I think 24% of its investments uh, have been in female founded or female led uh, firms. That's great. That's a hell of a lot higher than 2%, but yeah. it's not 50% at no. the same time, right? Yeah. And he, he, he certainly, I think, would, would admit to that as well. Yeah. But you co-founded Womankind Ventures to help start bridging that gap. So can you talk us through how it works, who participates in the syndicates, and, and how do you select the startups that you invest in? So we, we uh, invest in the businesses that we've trained essentially. Okay. So we get to know the businesses really well as part of our um, investment readiness program in particular. Um, we understand, we open up the hood, we see, we get to know the business itself really well, we get to know the founder really well. Um, and we were just a little bit tired of this process of training amazing founders and then going, fly birdies, go find funding. We didn't like that. We wanted to be able to be part of the solution and part of the momentum in creating um, their rounds and to putting their rounds together. And that's really what Womankind Ventures is all about. It's all about bringing this initial momentum for women who we believe in, mm -hmm. the top performers of our programs. And that's essentially what we do. So they go through the accelerator program at Hive and then yeah. become, do you invest in every single kind no. of company that comes through the accelerator or how, how does no, that No, we don't invest in all of them. Um, we have a scorecard process that we use to kind of assess founders. I have my own personal scorecard. Every investor has their own scorecard. We also have a group scorecard that enables us to assess whether mm -hmm. that business moves into our pipeline. Um, and then it's up to investors to decide whether they they want to put money. So it's kind of an at will syndicate from yeah. that perspective. Yeah. And how, like how many members, how many angels within? the? We're still group? very much in the ongoing onboarding phase. Got so it. it's a pretty tiny group. We uh, are just about to complete our first investment with Womankind Ventures. So, yeah, we're very in the in the nascent. phase. Yeah, getting getting going. But I mean, look, yeah. there's no, there is nothing wrong with that. And I think, yeah. you know, I, again, it's a conversation that we've had on this podcast a huge number yeah. of times. Right. Um, you know, uh, 
a lot of people would like to invest in startups. They don't think yeah. that they can. I know in the US there are, you know, complications around eligibility and so on and so forth. Yeah. But you can get going with like a thousand bucks, right? You mm -hmm. can make an invest, especially through a syndicate. Yeah. In fact, actually today the syndicates are a, a great kind of places to do that. Um, you know, I invested in a in a syndicate business through its own syndicate for like a thousand dollars. You know, and and that's you know that's the beauty of where where we are today, right? Like, and and obviously you, you then have companies like, you know, Republic and yeah. Crowdcube and Cedars yeah. and so on and so forth, which, you know, if you aren't directly involved in, in a specific syndicate, yeah. uh, are really valuable. We, we actually recently had David Fogel, one of the co-founders of Alma Angels on as well, mm -hmm. which again, you know, invests very specifically in female founded yeah. businesses. Yeah. Um, and, and I think, you know, the more that that kind of access to, so, so on the one hand, access to capital for the founders and, and obviously building that track record. Yes, we were able yeah. to secure investment from you know, a group of people. I think on the investment side, educating investors as to those challenges that yeah. female founders uh, also have yeah. and giving them access to deal flow that you know, is, is, has been vetted to some extent that is, you know, um, uh, that, that, you know, that has passed some kind of a bar uh obviously de-risks from their perspective you know yeah i mean you know we're what you're not recommenders into. right we yeah. we you know we're not a, a you know a financial recommenders yeah, you know yeah, what sure. i mean but we but we uh work with businesses um and we get to know the founders really well we get to know their businesses really well and then you know we have an opportunity to ourselves um yeah. support them in in, that, in a different way and i think women in particular don't really see um, angel investment as an asset class that they're particularly comfortable with. You know, it's not well, something- it's typically old, older yeah, male I, kind of- And I think there's this perception that it requires very big amounts of money, mm. right? And and so a lot of women feel quite intimidated about the process. And so we focus on creating partnerships with other groups that can help educate investors on why there are benefits to this asset class, um, why um, it's a good cycle to for women and a good um, approach for women to think about diversifying their portfolios, including Angel. But again, we're not recommenders. We're not financial advisors. You know, like we, we don't, we can't guarantee, you know, that this is, no, but that, or that business is a good business. But we, what we do is we help connect women um, and inspire women to, to think about um, investing in different ways. Yeah. So. And, and look, I mean, the reality is in any case, like all, you know, <laughs> every single startup yeah. comes with a disclaimer, like 90% of startups yeah. fail, totally. your capital is at risk. Yeah. I think the, the reality is though, I think a lot of people see the passion and the purpose in, in, uh, startups and, 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 and often, uh, like not necessarily always, but often yeah. uh, businesses that are founded by female entrepreneurs will have a very, very specific kind of uh, purposeful uh, focus and objective, right? Because it's often um, backed by real kind of real life problems that they face. You know, again, you know, coming back to one of your examples, you know, uh, an app that is able to track kind of roofie drugs and so on and so mm -hmm. forth. Like clearly that's come from someone that's yeah. looked at that and said, Jesus Christ, this is a really yeah. awful, you know, you know, irreprehensible kind of situation to be in yeah and, and actually like as an angel investor i'd be sat there going actually this is like i i get like not only do i get that this has value from a market perspective but yeah. actually just from a societal good perspective like that's something that i would back right and i think yeah. you know being able to kind of combine those two things is 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 really important and 
Yeah. I mean, I think a good a good investment opportunity, a good founder will be solving a real problem. A problem that you could be like, yeah, why didn't someone think about this before? Right. And I think whether they're men or women, it doesn't matter. Right. I think women tend to build things that that are that affect them. Mm -hmm. Men tend to build things that affect them. And those things are different. Right. Mm -hmm. We we navigate world in one way. Men navigate world in a different way. Same minorities navigate the world. So we all go through life with our own filters. Right. And I think women build things that affect them. You know, and I think it's in particular femtech products. I'm very excited about. I've built a femtech business myself, and I think that you know, medical the medical space is super is hugely yeah. underserved for mm-hmm. women, right? And so there's just massive opportunity, and it's like half the population. So you're really ignoring <laughs> a huge amount of consumers um, by ignoring um, women as consumers, right? So and and, just... and and ultimately, women have like by share of kind of wallet, like they yeah. they actually command. Like I think it's like eighty percent, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's, you know, it's like. It's just good business. It's, yeah, you know? exactly. Like, exactly. Yeah. Like, you don't want to write off 50% yeah, of the population. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so, okay, cool. I mean, like, you know, bringing all of that experience together from founding your own startups to supporting women entrepreneurs at Hive and Womankind, like in the current market, you know, which is a bit of a disaster, I think most people <laughs> yeah. would, would, would readily admit, <laughs> and, and is probably going to decline over the next six, 12 months for sure. Um, how would you advise any founder, but especially female entrepreneurs to get started or, or kind of keep going even? I I think that um, economic downturns are actually a really great time to start a business Mm -hmm. because things that I think make businesses successful are scrappy mentalities, really being a good optimizer, right? Back to this initial point about like, if you're a good optimizer, you can be a good founder. And the downturn situations require you by their very nature to be scrappy. So it's good business practice to learn that. I think the advice for women is the same advice that I give them, whether there's a a market glut or a downturn. It's the same. Is build carefully, build in disciplined capacity, build things that people want to buy and be scrappy, right? Don't be wasteful, be clear, be disciplined. And, you know, and then you're going to be setting yourself up for a good situation, right? For for to maximize your chance. There's no guarantees because there's no guarantees in entrepreneurship. But if you're scrappy and you're disciplined, you think you you think you talk to customers, you continuously create that cycle of customer feedback, you're setting yourself up for success. And and then and I also think that women tend to build businesses that are a bit more um, appropriate in bootstrapping ways. So we tend to rely on our internal engines of capital a little bit more, but just because. We can't access external capital. Yeah, we all, there's almost that kind of thing in the in the hindbrain. Like, like I'm not going to be able to raise money, so I've got to yeah. figure it out myself. Yeah, right? and actually, I think that's really good. And I think investors are looking for that. Investors are looking for businesses that see capital as an accelerant rather than as a requirement, yeah. right? So if you build something, you get your minimum product, you get your validation, and you're actually creating some momentum, that's going to be much more appealing for an investor than if you're just building in a vacuum and just saying, well, I need $3 million in order to get this thing off the ground with no validation, right? So proving points and kind of taking, moving yourself along the, the maturity line in terms of your validation is really helpful. And then goes back again to this point of defensible logic. Like the more defensible your logic is, the easier of a time you're gonna have. Yeah, I mean, I think the capitalism, et cetera, and not a requirement is a really interesting one because it kind of goes both ways in the sense that I, I would fully agree with you. Like if you're capital efficient, that mm-hmm. shows that you are able to kind of manage your capital yeah. well, well and, and grow. Yeah. But you know, there is a there is a cohort of of investors that will mm-hmm. will be, and I think these are the kind of older school um, type investors where they'll be like, well, you haven't you haven't raised any money, therefore there must be something wrong. Right. Why have you only bootstrapped? Why have you only kind of you know managed the capital? And again, it's yeah. it's to that earlier point we discussed right at the at, at, at the top of the podcast. 
it is about making sure that you have the right narrative, right? And you can, totally. do, again, the defensible logic point, right? Like, this is why I bootstrap mm -hmm. from here to here. And this is why I'm now raising the money, you know, today. Yeah. Uh, I, 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 like, again, couldn't agree with you more in terms of, you know, economic downturns are always, you know, yeah. where, where great businesses are built for exactly yeah. those reasons. Yeah. And I think this time around, we have coupled with an economic downturn, we have this explosion of opportunity that's been uh, th that's been unleashed with generative AI. Mm -hmm. um, there's obviously a lot of capital flowing into into that space, but but yeah. generally, it's it's also lowered the barrier and the cost to building because you can yeah. now, essentially, if you really wanted to, you could build an MVP, a technological MVP using ChatGPT, right? Like you could yeah. just get it to write the script that you know yeah. essentially builds your website, builds whatever the yeah. Python script that sits behind it, yeah. and and you can come out with an MVP in a way that you you couldn't yeah. have like two years ago, right? Um, and and I think you know the the other thing that I think uh, f for me is is critical is like for female entrepreneurs, for minority ethnics, for anyone like in in startup world, failure is not failure. Failure is just a lesson learned, yeah. right? Like I, I think this is the thing you've been through four startups. Yeah. You know, presumably like not all of them went successfully. Nope. Uh, so so you know you've got to you've got to have I guess a, 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 that modicum of resilience that allows you to to keep going to take those lessons and and move forward because you know otherwise if anything was easy then we'd all be doing it. I guess is is yeah. the point, right? Like so fa you should not see failure as failure. I mean, failure is the best lesson. Yeah. <laughs> you learn 10 times more when things don't go right than when they do, right? So I don't even believe in the concept of failure anymore. Mm. I think maybe I never did, but I really believe that it's learning or learning. And either it's a confirmatory or it's, okay, let's try something different. Let's explore, let's experiment, let's let's refine, let's optimize, right? It's going back to this optimization, constant successive optimizations, right? That's entrepreneurship. Yep. And no, there's no amount, you know, it will never end, right? This will be your life on a day-to-day -day basis as an entrepreneur. You're always going to be looking at the next problem and how you solve it. And that's what's great about it, right? That's what's fun. <laughs> Ex exactly. Yeah. And I think like on that very, very positive note, let's uh, let's wrap the pod. But uh, Andrea, thank you so much for for coming into the studio and, and talking to me on this beautiful, hot summer uh, summer day in London. Um, for our audience, uh, where can they find you? you online? Where's the best place? LinkedIn, Twitter? Uh, where can they look for you online? Best place to find me is on LinkedIn. Okay, yeah, and that's Andre Andrea, Andrea Summers. Andrea Summers. Okay. Yeah, or look for High Founders. Amazing, uh, Andrea. Thank you so much for joining me. It's been a blast. Thanks, Thanks for having me. <laughs>